Chapter 33 The Messenger Perry climbed through the broken window, ignoring the long, dried bloodstains. Once inside the round chamber, he lit a cigarette. The green-tinted glass crunched under his shoes as he crossed the room, passing the door, peering out one of the few windows. He put the cigarette to his lips and inhaled. This was the highest viewpoint of Novum, and he wondered if anyone had been higher since the war. Master Ferreth had spoken of airplanes, but nothing other than the occasional bird had been seen in the skies. From below, the tinted panes of the sloping city walls looked clean, but with this closer view, he could see the collected dust and buildup. He turned his gaze down to the city, its curving railways snaking below the massive spires. He had taken Liam to this place once, who had been far too timid to enjoy it. It was an enigmatic room, the apex of Novum, yet unused and strangely bloodied. The mystery was part of what Perry liked about it, and as he lit another cigarette, he wondered about Liam. His younger friend had started to come into his own just before his disappointing departure. Perry had wanted to go with him, but he knew it would be prohibited. It was a task for Liam alone, the eighth-generation descendant from the Prophet. Yet Perry expected something by now and worried that if Liam was going to return at all, he would have done so already. Since Liam's leaving, Perry had been more diligent in attending Master Ferreth's lessons. The man welcomed him each afternoon. They spent one hour with the sword and another with history. He half expected his lessons to run out, but there was always something new to learn. Perry improved with the sword, though he never had bested Liam and doubted he had improved enough to do so now. He also started to understand the world before the war. Some could be learned from the movies, but it helped to have Ferreth to separate the fact from fiction. The jiggling door handle started him. Regaining his wits, he rushed across the room and climbed out of the broken window, pulling himself out of sight. And clinging to the ladder rungs, he could hear voices and dared to peek back into the room. Our patience is about to pay off, said the tall, dark-haired man. He was accompanied by a priest, a woman in all black, a massive bald man, and a small man in odd clothes, and a sickly businessman. This man, he continued, is our link to Novum. He is not the Grand Chancellor, he is not the head of their military, he is not a known face, yet they are all subservient to him. Agnes Nagosta is the man behind the curtain. Agnes, these are my faithful. The large, bald man was introduced as Cain. The woman was Amelia, and Raven was the smaller man who introduced the priest as Saul. Perry knew his histories. That made the tall, dark-haired man, Jacob. Perry nearly swore aloud. But who was this Agnes? The Morning Star has worked hard to give us this, said Jacob. Until we learn how things work around here, we depend on him. This will be our base until we can work out something more accommodating. 
Furniture will be provided, and we'll clean up the mess over there. Perry ducked out of view just as Jacob directed their attention to the broken window. What happened here? asked Amelia. Agnes laughed. It was a haunting chuckle. Oh, that, he said in a raspy voice. A small mishap, but nothing to speak of. I believe we're being watched. Perry did not think he had been seen, but he knew they spoke of him, and, ignoring the carabiner, began to rush down the ladder. His foot slipped, but he caught himself. Don't look down. He reached the door two floors down, and opening it slipped in. As he pulled himself in, he looked to see Jacob peering out the window. He ran to the elevator and held his shaky finger to the button. They might be boarding it above him. If not, they may be able to stop it. He hit the down button and ran, searching for any sign of a stairwell. To his relief, he found it unlocked and began the descent. After the first floor, he was jumping down steps at a time, careening around landings, feet carrying him swiftly downward. After ten floors, his bones ached, but he didn't slow. A dozen more floors later, it occurred to him that even at this pace, it could take more than an hour to make the descent. He exited the stairwell and ran among the vacant cubicles and blank computer screens. After summoning the elevator, he ducked out of view from its doors and waited. Two minutes later, the doors opened to a small, empty carriage. Perry rushed in and took the elevator down to the 10th floor. Back of the stairwell, he continued his way down, hoping this was all diversion enough to escape. He reached the ground floor, breathless, heart hammering in his chest, hands trembling. There were several elevators, and by the digital signs above their doors, none were at the ground floor. Once out of the building and untroubled by the guards, he ran along the street. There were no cars in view, just a few cyclists, which was good. How fast could Agnes start a search for him? The situation had taken him by surprise, and there was so much he didn't know. He looked up, surveying the building he had just left. The tallest building in Novum towered almost to the apex of the pyramid. He left the central building behind. He did not return home, but rather went to his parents' apartment. Though sure that Jacob could not have recognized him, he had an uneasy feeling and decided to keep low for a few hours. You know, Perry, his mother said over dinner, since you moved out, you have come here for dinner every Tuesday night. And you know that dinner is on the table at six o'clock every night. You could try and be on time for once. She said it in the same scolding tone that he had come to find endearing. Come on, Mom, he said. You know how the train is late sometimes. It's never late, his dad said. Solemn as usual, the man was void of emotion. His mother took some roast from the center plate and placed it on her own. For 200 years, people had eaten meat grown in a lab. But once in a while, Perry wondered how much it really tasted like the real thing. Another week and your friend Liam still isn't back, his father said. How many times had his father said it? Beneath the matter-of-fact tone was a hint of disapproval that somehow Liam's failure to return had been a poor reflection on Perry. 
Sometimes Perry thought he understood his father's attitude, but other times he resented the old bastard. The afternoon's encounter had left Perry irritable, and he was not in the mood for his father's typical passive-aggressive jibes. I would think that a man of the church would have more faith, Perry replied. The prophet's tenure has long been over. I don't know what happened the day of the fire, but if anything was going to come of it, it would have by now. It's time the church was more in step with the government. Are you going to eat those carrots, Perry? His mother asked. As if they aren't similar enough, replied Perry, ignoring his mother. All I'm saying, his father said, is that it would be better if the prophet retired. Perry knew it was a pointless argument. After tonight, it wouldn't matter. He stabbed a piece of beef and finished his supper. After an awkward, quiet meal, he said goodbye. His mother gave him the usual kiss on the cheek, and his father favored the television to seeing his son to the door. It was better that way. Perry's loft was a mess, his things strung through the small studio apartment. A pair of jeans hung over the back of an office chair, dimly lit in the glow of his computer screen. He put a match to his cigarette, suppressing the anxiety of the fine for smoking in the apartment. The room was a spread of odds and ends, things lost under piles of clothes, but he knew where to find everything. He pulled his backpack from among the clutter under his bed and began to stuff things into it. A small knife, a change of clothes. He had no idea what to bring. Once ready, he cracked his apartment's door, peering through the slit. The hall lights were out. That was unusual. Climbing out the window was harder than it appeared, but he knew well the way to the rooftop and down the service ladder. He jumped between two more rooftops and took a high fall to reach the street level. His pack shifted as he landed and he nearly sprained his ankle. Taking the rail was out of the question. He suspected someone was on to him. What would have been a three-minute tram ride took him 15 minutes of walking, keeping to the shadows. He had gotten good at this in grade school, when he would sneak out of his parents' home and maneuver the alleys and rooftops. Master Ferrith, he whispered knocking. Master Ferrith! Indistinct mumbling came from the other side of the door. It opened. Ferrith was older than he looked, his dark beard graying and wrinkles creasing his brow. He gave Perry an incredulous look. At this hour, how did you even get here? He asked. I climbed, replied Perry. You have to let me in. This is an emergency. The older man consented, though he did not appear alarmed or rushed. Well, Ferrith said, what is it? Ferrith made them tea, and they sat under the single light in his kitchen as Perry told him of his encounter at the tower. You should not have been up there said Ferrith. What do you mean? said Perry. If I hadn't been there, we wouldn't have discovered any of this. Liam is somewhere out there. If he has found Dorian, we have to tell them. Perhaps, Ferrith said. Give me a moment to dress and I'll show you something. Moments later, Ferrith returned wearing black slacks and a black button-up shirt. He led Perry out of the apartment up the stairs and to the roof. At the southern corner stood a telescope. He gestured for Perry to look. He peered through the eyepiece, at first nothing, but then he saw lights, and they came into focus as some sort of fire in the distance, perhaps at the pass. 
You'd be surprised what I can see during the day, said Master Ferreth. All sorts of coming and goings. I'm pretty sure there was a battle two days ago. Thousands of figures. It was hard to tell much more. And you didn't tell me this? Asked Perry. No, <laughs> Master Ferreth replied, because I knew you wouldn't let it rest, and I didn't want to act until we knew more. But we have to go out there, said Perry. Now that we know more, I agree. We could have gone out there only to run into Jacob, but now that we know he's here, there's a better chance that what we're seeing at the pass are our allies. I don't know how Jacob got by me. I check this often enough. I should have seen him coming in the two days it takes to get here. When can we leave? Well, now that we know more, that changes things too. If Jacob is in Novum, that means that he may have won whatever battle it appeared to be. You may go out there only to find the remnants of those he has defeated. Worse, he may have left a force behind, but I don't think that's the case. It'll be faster if you go alone. You are young and swift. Standon and I can take care of things here. You want me to go alone? asked Perry. I'm afraid so, said Master Ferth, but not ill-equipped. I saw the biggest hyena just a few days ago. I dare say we can't have you running into that unarmed. Some natives, a peculiar people, appeared to be headed to the northwest corner of the mountains, but you shouldn't have to deal with them. The idea gave Perry pause, but he tried to act brave. Fine, he said. What now? His pack was now more substantial. It contained dried fruits, jerky, and other morsels. He also had water, rope, a blanket, and matches. Ferreth gave him a more suitable outfit and a sword. Where do you get this stuff? asked Perry. When you started tutoring under me, we had to order your fencing outfit. When Liam was sent out there, we had a special set of clothes made. I had a set made for myself and for you. You saw this coming. Perry, said Master Ferreth. I've seen this coming for a long time. It's why I've learned so much. The prophet saw it coming and naturally sent Liam to me. You, being a friend of Liam's, are just one more asset. Now zip up that vest and let us be on our way before sunrise. If Perry had mastered the rooftops, Ferreth had mastered the first underground, which was the name of the top subterranean layer between the surface and the lower underground levels. Most of the utilities, factories, and other jobs lay well below the city. Some of the first underground was residential, its poor tenants still comfortable relative to the more destitute quarters at lower levels. Most worked in a lower facility, a strange group of people who seldom had reason to come to the surface. Some said they preserved the old ways, whatever those were. Others said they had gone crazy from years in the dark. As for the first underground, it was tunnels of pipes, cables, dim lights, and industrial transportation. Ferreth led the way, winding through the passages, and Ferry lost his sense of direction. At last, they came to the stairs, followed them up, and entered a long, dark corridor. Imagine a world, said Ferreth, in which the only place worse than being outside of it was being inside. Indeed. This place was designed with an evacuation plan. I have a feeling it's how Jacob got in. But the question is, 
who let him in. My best guess is that this Agnes character has something to do with that. I'll tell you this now, as I am confident that no ears or devices are listening to my words. The first underground is home to a movement of sorts. It started as a guild, a secret society meant to keep the city safe. We are why swords are allowed in, but guns are not. Things have evolved. Shortly before rumor of this Agnes character, one of our louder and more arrogant members was killed. We've since grown into a resistance, suspecting that Agnes meant to work behind the scenes until he could rise to power. We did not correlate it with a prophecy regarding Jacob and assumed the very reason we had sent for Dorian was to keep Jacob from ever entering. We were wrong, and Dorian is too late. There was a click, which must have been Master Ferreth pulling a lever. A metal clang reverberated through the hall. The door rose, exposing the night sky. A flood of fresh air stimulated his senses. He was ready for this. Master Ferreth took him by the shoulders. Now listen, he said. Go to the pass and see what you can find out, but don't do anything stupid. Godspeed, young man. With that, Perry left. After two days' travel, Perry was exhausted. The initial novelty of the fresh air and trickling stream amazed him at first. Then the footprints in the sand had caught his attention, all massive, some three-pronged and others like that of some large horse. No amount of water soothed the heat, even when he dipped his entire head into the stream. His legs felt like lead, and the lack of sleep wore on him. Each step brought him closer to the pass, and he was almost too tired to be afraid. He willed himself to continue. His dirty, sunburned skin and aching muscles plagued him, but he walked on, each drudging step bringing him closer to the pass. The desert broke, and he walked among the old stone, broken glass and steel. Then it gave way to the desert again, but a more packed, refined terrain. He looked up at the towering mountain walls around him. He had done it. The river ran nearby, and he drank from it. When he looked up, a man with auburn hair and a large sword strapped to his back stood over Perry. Still on his knees, face wet from his drink, he just looked at the man into his brown-green eyes. Jacob is in the city, Perry said.